Bienvenidos and welcome to episode 25 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the bi-coastal bon vivant himself, Jonah Birch. Jonah, the people demand to know... There's a there's a, a pervasive sense of absence on the East Coast, and people recognize it's the absence of you. Where are you these days, Jonah Birch? Where in the world is Jonah? I, you know, I'm coming to you from sunny California. Sunny California. Specifically uh, Santa Cruz, home of the University of California Santa Cruz uh, Banana Slugs. Not, not really sure why that's their, their team nickname. Where it is lovely and a, a balmy 61 degrees uh, mm. compared to hot as fucking hell on the mm-hmm. East Coast, I believe, is actually the official temperature. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, I'm I'm living in comfort, but just waiting for the inevitable natural disaster that will bring life to into this part of the world, you know, to an end. Because, you know, I don't know I don't know how much longer California has between the fires and the earthquakes. You know, I have to tell you that everyone I know now that visits anywhere, when I know they're there, my first thought is like, what climate related natural disaster might take them out, like while they're gone. <laughs> Yeah, probably yeah. no surer sign of, of just wacky climate shit than Jonah being in a beautiful 61-degree climate in California while I am roasting in upstate New York in tropical Rochester. You know, I never got it. Why? You know, I'm, I'm such a northeastern guy. I'm like, I, I never got the whole California thing. But, you know, when I come here and it's so beautiful, I'm like, I get it. I, I get it, you know. <laughs> that was an extremely elegant twist of the knife. That was very, very nice. <laughs> In today's episode, we will touch on the NBA Finals, uh, the Euros, which wrapped up last week, a couple of incidents from the horror show known as ESPN, and a little talk at the end about some interesting incidents in international men's and women's basketball, particularly the American teams. The men have not been having the greatest run, although they're all scrimmages, but also some things going on in the women's game that I think will be interesting to get into. So let's dive into the finals, first of all, Jonah. And first, I just wanted to, to clarify for our audience, because we got several emails about this this week. Who is Jonah rooting for in the NBA finals and why? Did we actually get several emails about this? Were, no. were there? No, we don't. We don't okay. There's no, I'm just trying to make it sound. Come on, Jonah. I'm just trying to make it sound better. <laughs> I wondered um, who is Jonah rooting for in these finals. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've gone back and forth, and, uh, you know, on the one hand, and we should, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about what the hell happened to Chris Paul in Game 4. I, you know, of course, I, I want him to win the title uh, and answer all of the ridiculous doubts and questions. Some some of them not so ridiculous, but overall ridiculous doubts about his greatness and, and his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, as the as the finals continue... I gotta say, like Giannis is very likable. It's hard not to root for for Giannis. Very likable, yes. So let's say this. You know, I'm open either way. I I want a seven game series, obviously, like everyone does. But if you are a fan of either team, I'm open to to bribes. You know, to offers, whatever you wanna you you wanna give me. I can be I can be bought, and I'm happy to swing your way with my fandom and my powerful social media following. (laughs) <laughs> jackamansports at gmail.com we accept paypal um we accept cash through the mail any kind of bribes are into we are receptive to receiving how about how about you i i actually where where does the knicks fan base fall on the on the suns bucks you know uh there's there's i think one ex nick on each team but neither is of consequence really it's langston galloway doesn't really get off the bench for the suns and bobby portis uh has been a big player for the bucks I kind of default to my childhood standing, which is I usually root for the Eastern team as long as they haven't caused me like heartbreak. So I really like the Bucks. I love Gian- I love Giannis. Um, I really like a lot of their players. I like that they've been through it now for a few years. They're kind of that old school ladies, like you know the the Pistons had to get through the Celtics, the, the Sixers had to get through the Celtics, the Bulls had to get through the Pistons. Like I like that Milwaukee has been on this journey for a bit. Um, I like the the phenomenologically interesting prospect of Mike Budenholzer being the head coach of an NBA championship because that just explodes my consciousness into directions that I never thought possible. 
The Suns, yeah. I really have no problem with, honestly. Like, they were, you know, I, I don't have a problem with either team. This is the rare finals where I don't hate anybody or really lo- like, they're just two nice teams. I will say Phoenix is starting to grade on me a little bit because I feel like their players are picking up on the aspects of Paul's game that I dislike the most. Yeah, Even Aiton has begun to get a bit whiny, but I wouldn't be upset if Phoenix wins, um, but I'm definitely rooting for the Bucks. I mean, you know, it's funny. From from the vantage point of NBA history, I, I think of the Suns and the Bucks as very similar. There, there are two franchises that, you know, have never been dominant. Obviously, the Bucks won a title with Kareem in 74. You know, the, the Suns had some very good teams in the 70s, lost a, a heartbreaker to, to the Celtics in 76. But over the last, you know, 50 years, basically, they've generally, although not always, been pretty good. They both have some pretty classic squads. I think of the Bucks in the 80s, Sidney Moncrief and, yep. you know, Terry Cummings, Ricky Pierce, all, all of those guys. Uh, you know, and then the, the, the Suns teams with Kevin Johnson, obviously, they made it to the finals in 93. But uh, yeah, pretty good, not dominant, not teams that you would like, that other fan bases would usually get so worked up about, right? You know, so <laughs> like <laughs> no one is like, oh man, F that team. Um, yeah. Yeah. America is pretty neutral, I feel like, on the Suns and the Bucks. They're both pretty good. And, I, you know, I, I, I feel like both fan bases, maybe maybe more so Milwaukee, but, but generally both of them are, you know, they have pretty decent fan bases. They kind of, they deserve it. I guess, mm-hmm. you know, they, they mm-hmm. both deserve a title. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be upset either way. I think the saddest comment, I agree with what you just said, that I think America um, doesn't doesn't hate either team, and I wonder if that is reflected. I never know what to make of ratings. I don't usually care about them. I find it interesting that the ratings are so much higher than last year, but so much lower than the years before then. And people are always trying to explain why, and maybe it's because neither team has... A national following one way or the other as as hated or liked um, but it probably has more to do with people cutting cable and and that sort of stuff than it does the appeal of either team right. um jonah did you see the classic work of american cinema undercover brother i wow i did see that i i feel like okay. a long time ago but I, i'm not even being sarcastic i adore that movie um <laughs> and one of the uh, minor characters in it, played by Dave Chappelle, is a character named Conspiracy Brother, who finds, of course, the conspiracies like in everything. Um, I felt very Conspiracy Brother last night watching Game Four because Devin Booker, when he had five fouls, basically committed assault and battery against Drew Holiday on a break. Also fouled, I can't remember who, somebody in the last couple of minutes, like a blatant foul. No calls, and I do appreciate the referees generally having, you know, restraint, like, I'm not, I'm really not tuning in to watch Pat Connaughton as much as I am, you know, Chris Middleton, so, like, you want to keep the stars there, but this Arlington, was really... Arlington's own Pat Connaughton, let's just mention, it? every time oh, you say his name, you know, you gotta mention <laughs> that he, he's a good Massachusetts Irish kid, you know, maybe Arlington's think. own Pat Connaughton, um, I'm not watching it for Arlington's own, I'm watching it for the stars, <laughs> but, like, I saw, and I get it, there was a lot of you know, here it is, this is the NBA, like, you know, there's conspiracies, they're doing this on purpose. Have you, can you remember, I'm sure it's happened, I'm sure it's happened, and you've probably seen more of it because your team actually gets to the playoffs usually. I can't remember a more egregious, like, that guy should be, I know it's a close game, it's an important game, but he should have fouled out multiple times before that game was decided. I mean, it's funny because, of course, there are, the uh, obviously those kind of classic games of ref malfeasance, particularly from the bad old days of, of the Donnie years that everyone has picked apart to death. You know, you think about whether it's Sacramento uh, Lakers game six in was it 2002 or uh, Blazer? You know what I'm it was, yeah, game yeah, six. oh, yeah. And then uh, the year was it the year before was the Blazers Lakers game seven, yep, and game seven. And you can you can go on YouTube and watch you know some deconstructions of the calls. Then <laughs> but this wasn't quite like that. I mean, it didn't feel like one team was getting all the calls and the refs were trying to swing the game. But just in terms of a single call that was so obviously egregious, 
Uh, I, I don't remember anything quite like this. Uh, you know, all of America knew that that was a foul. Uh, you know, everyone in the world understood exactly what happened. And I, I, I agree with you that I appreciate, you know, you don't want the refs to decide the game. I mean, Booker was working on a classic game. His third quarter was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He had picked up his fifth foul. It knocked him out for most of the f- fourth quarter, which is too bad because, you know, obviously that really hurt the Suns. Uh, that call happened, the fifth foul call happened after a blown call on the other end. I don't know if you saw this, the out-of-bounds call where they said it was off of Booker. Uh, Booker uh, yes. was, I believe, spinning around, was it around P.J. Tucker, I think, or, or Giannis? Think so. or, anyway, it was off the Bucks defender, uh, and the, the ref had missed that call. Booker was very upset, goes down the other end and picks up the fifth foul, which was definitely a fifth foul. So I don't know if that contributed to... The ref, you know, was this a makeup call or mm-hmm. something? Or was it just that the ref was like, I'm not fouling this dude out of the game with, you know, a couple minutes left in such a tight game. But it just was, it was egregious. I mean, it was so obvious. Really there was, was no gray area uh, mm-hmm. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember anything quite like that. Yeah, I don't either. What the hell was Booker doing? I mean, they must have told him, you can't pick up your sixth foul. Let him I get the layup. I think he was lost in the frustration of the moment. I think he hasn't been on that stage before. I really think it was that. I think if if they had called him for number six, I think he would have been like really upset with himself and recognized like I really I really screwed that up, and he got away with it. He got away with it twice. Um, but I think he got lost in the moment and they cut him a break. Yeah, because it was it was just it was you know it, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, obviously, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, and luckily, I guess, right? You know. Yeah, thankfully. Because uh, um, you would never have heard the end of it if if somehow... Because Booker was, as you were saying, he wasn't just a bystander. He was ripping it up. Um, if he didn't foul out and he's ended up with 40, I think, and they go on to win, like, you would never hear the end of that. His, his shot making in the third quarter was... Um, it was some of the best I've seen in a finals game in, in mm-hmm. you know, in a while. Obviously, you know, Giannis is the most dominant player in the series, but that was fun to watch. It was really incredible to watch him. And, you know, you feel like, obviously, the announcers, Mark Jackson, keeps saying he's a superstar. And you do feel like you've, you're seeing someone blossom into that uh, mm-hmm. on the biggest stage. And that's great. You know, that's great yeah. to see. Great to he's, watch. Very easy to, he's very easy to watch play. He's very fun. I don't know if this player is fun, and you've probably seen more of him than I have because I, I believe he was a Celtic at one point, and I'm curious your take on him. There are always players in the league that have a rep for, you know, you'll love them if they're on your team, and if they're not, like, you you want nothing to do with them. They're very annoying. Jay Crowder is that kind of player. Jay Crowder always seems to be on good teams. He always seems to be on the floor in clutch moments in the finals, Throughout the play, like Jay Crowder clearly is a player that teams have identified as this guy just helps you win. But when I watch Jay Crowder, he's so annoying. You saw him. Give me the give me the Jonah case file on Jay Crowder. God, I miss Jay Crowder. I, I mean, Do you? yeah, I mean, they traded him away. The Celtics did in the the Kyrie uh, the Kyrie trade after stealing him from the Mavericks mm. in the Rajon Rondo trade. And uh, mm-hmm. like you say, he he's a winner. I mean, he, he's he's obviously an excellent defensive player. Um, you know, he's very smart. He's very tough. I, he, when he's on your team, he can be a bit maddening because he's not the greatest shooter. He's a little streaky, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and um, but uh, but I, I enjoy watching him play still. Now, do you think he was stealing calls? Like for example, on the foul call where he with the on the three, where he got the the three free throws, mm-hmm. you know, I I thought he got fouled. Maybe he dramatized it a little bit, but he's not just pulling shit out of his ass. I guess is my impression <laughs> of him, you know. The pro- I don't know what to make of Crowder because now he has like a rep. So, for example, he got fouled later in the game where Giannis Crowder got a rebound. Giannis reached over and like smacked him in the face. Until I saw the replay, I was convinced Crowder was like, I'm like, come on. like what? And then you see he literally got smacked in the face. I'm like, oh, okay. But he has such a rep, and I get it, why it's appealing. Like, he seems like he will do anything to win. 
that three on the foul call on the three, I didn't think it was a foul. I thought that, like Van Gundy said, like you can make contact on the hand after the shot's released. It's not necessarily a foul. I don't, I don't think he was maybe. I don't know if he was, you know, being nefarious or if he just happened to go down and the ref happened to call it. And you're not going to apologize for that. But Crowder, Aiton has started complaining a lot. Booker is not afraid to whine. Chris Paul is, you know, the the bard of bitching. Like hey. I don't know how much more of Phoenix I can handle. Like if they if things don't go well for them, I don't know how much more I can handle because they do not take it well. They really don't. I mean, the flip side is P.J. Tucker is no wilting violet. You know, P.J. Tucker has never <laughs> apparently committed a foul in his life. P.J. Tucker has, a, and I've always loved him. Maybe I haven't seen enough of him or maybe things are changing. He seems so irritated all the time in these games. Like, he is constantly, like, I have, I grew up and saw people like P.J. Tucker who, like, when you saw them coming down the street talking to themselves the way he does, like, you would find some reason to pretend that you had to cross to the other side and you would go. Because P.J. Tucker constantly looks like, like, I can't remember who they used to make this joke about, but there was some athlete where they always said, like, you could lock him alone in a gym and he would end up getting in a fight. Like, P.J. Tucker like, always looks like he's ready to go with whoever, the ref, the opponent, um, himself. Yeah, you're right. Shrinking violet is not a term at all that I would use for P.J. Tucker ever. Let me ask you this question. So obviously PJ is playing big minutes these whole playoffs, right? He was the designated Durant defender, you know, and that made sense to me. But he's continuing to play big, big minutes for for Milwaukee. Is PJ Tucker, you know, particularly as a defender, as a three and D guy, would you say that he is he's playing big minutes because of his deserved reputation as a you know, as a, a, a glue, guy, glue guy, someone who really, you know, will help you win, great defender, or is it just a, a reflection of how little depth the, the Bucks have? That the alternative is Bobby Portis, and they are just not, they're not running with Bobby Portis. I think the answer is probably both. I think that it does reflect a lack of options, especially because, although Budenholzer, it did seem late in last night's game that Antetokounmpo was guarding Chris Paul more. Um, but the Bucks have been infamously um, adherent in the past to not having Giannis guard, whether it's Durant, whether it's been Jimmy Butler, um, whether it's been Kawhi Leonard. Like they've kind of been infamous for that. So I suspect part of it is they just it's a lot. They feel they have a lack of options because you don't want Brooke Lopez trying to. I mean, Lopez can't play off a pick and roll unless he's dropping, and Paul and Booker kill that. Sure. But I do think it's also that um, Tucker just is the best option. He. He can hit threes in the corner. He doesn't care at all if he gets a basket. Um, he does not need the ball at all on a team that has three all-stars. And he is the rare case of a defender who is, I think, competent enough to be respectable on the perimeter. And any switch he gets caught out on, particularly against the Suns, who are not um, you know, a big behemoth team like the Lakers were a year ago, I think P.J. Tucker is good because whoever he gets caught against, you're not in trouble. Whereas with Lopez or Portis or possibly some others, you might be. I mean, he also, he's a guy who, on the one hand, he knows his role offensively. You know, he's taken 17 field goals in this, uh, in this series and made nine of them, it looks like. Uh, which is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whatever. That's not terrible. You he know? was like 0 for 5 last night. Yeah, so I mean, impressive. yeah, for that's true. Yeah, but he actually shot well the first three games. Um, uh-huh. On the other hand, even when he's hitting most of his shots, he's basically an offensive zero. I mean, he's such a black hole, right? And on a team <laughs> that really could use some secondary scoring. Like, if you, if... The Bucks could take Jay Crowder over P.J. Tucker. If they could make that trade, I, this series would be over, right? I mean, someone who could just give you a little bit of something uh, on the offensive end. Maybe not. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But I feel like he's kind of, you know, they're sort of comparable. But but P.J. Tucker mm-hmm. is an inferior version offensively, you know. Mm-hmm. The ageless P.J. Yeah. Tucker. But yeah, he he's been around. But a lot of mileage on those years. Um Thanks to Houston playing him as a, a five for years and then trading him before they had to pay for it. Yeah. Good job, Tillman, for Tita once again. Jonah, let's move from Wisconsin to Wembley. And let's talk about... There's Germany and two front wars. 
<laughs> there are revolutionaries who neglect class-based grievances, and there's England and penalty kicks. Some shit just does not work out. Uh, it did not work for England. Were you rooting for either team in these finals? Do you, do you find England and Italy to be the bucks and sons of European socio-political <laughs> history? <laughs> I'm guessing no from that Absolutely laugh. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Were you rooting for either team? Um, I, you know, I find it very hard to root for England. As part of my, you know, deep anti-colonial consciousness, uh, I was rooting for <laughs> yes. Italy. My, okay. my, my girlfriend, my partner, who is uh, Argentine, but of Italian extraction, was rooting hard for the Italians and, you know, obviously mm. for... Uh, the Argentines, who won, by the way, big big victory, mm -hmm. you know, over Brazil. Yes, they did. Messi, Messi got it. Uh, so I was I was for the Azuri until uh, the penalty shootout, and I, I just couldn't help. I mean, it's so funny, you know, uh, the the Rashford Sancho soccer combo. Uh, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I I have no rooting interest in the the any of the teams that those guys play for. But God, uh, you know, you look at them, uh, you know, but a bunch of teenagers, they're so young. I, I couldn't help but root for them. And it was it was pretty devastating when the way that that ended. And so I felt bad, not good after the game, even though I'd been rooting for the Italians the entire match, you know. That's very sweet. I'm thinking of that scene at the end of The Grinch when like his heart slowly begins <laughs> to grow like a little bigger. I like that England's teenagers were able to pull you in. I, you know, it's there's something tragic about it, like you said. I mean, Garrett Southgate, the the English manager, obviously famous for his miss in the 96 Euros versus yes. Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this felt like some kind of, uh, you know, uh, just devastating, tragic repeat of history all the way around. But the other thing was, and uh, there's a way in which, you know, we joke about reading all sports through the lens of politics and particularly European football through the lens of World War II. You know, and mm -hmm. I'm half kidding, mm -hmm. only half kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> you know. uh, but in this case, it did feel like there were real, there was a political fallout, right? I mean, the level of racism and the vitriol afterwards, obviously. Yes. And yes. given the degree to which the English team taking a knee and, uh, you know, that had been such a, a point of controversy in England against racism uh, and uh, had also, by the way, I mean, that same issue had come up in other countries in France where the team had discussed taking a knee before the game. It was a major source of controversy. You just, you knew that this was, the fallout from this was going to be ugly and vicious and racist. And it was, you know, and I just felt bad for those three guys more than anything, you know? Um, and, and the way in which, you know, you knew that they were going to get treated in the aftermath of the game. Did you have any issue with Southgate sending Saka out to take that decided with, with all that pressure and everything? Did you think when I saw him go out there, I was surprised. Um, I thought there were probably other people he could have gone to first. Obviously, Saka is a great talent. Were you looking back? Do you feel like obviously you can say it was a mistake, but like, do you think? Southgate puts Saka in a bad position, or do you think this could be one of those things that, whether he scores or not, it's it's something under his belt, and maybe in the future it helps in some way? I mean, you know, what do I know? But I, I can't imagine. They, it, you know, he put a 19-year-old, even a 19-year-old who's so talented like that, to put them in that position where, as the fifth, you know, the fifth penalty taker in the shootout, with so much riding on it, it just seems like, a lot. I mean, totally overwhelming. I can't believe there weren't other options that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, what do I know? I, who knows what the discussions were like, but that other options that were, um, let's say a little bit less of, of a gamble just from a sports point of view. And it's just so much mm -hmm. pressure on, on a kid. So much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I, the other day, I took my daughter to a field to practice um, some soccer stuff. And at the end, we just, for fun, were like doing penalty kicks with each other. And my fiance at one point got in the net and challenged me to kick the ball past her. And like the pressure I felt there, I cannot imagine. I literally cannot imagine what Sokka was thinking. I can't imagine it. 
because I got so hyped up about facing my fiance in the net on an empty field with nobody watching. I can't imagine what that dude went through. Um, yeah. Now let's say that I, you know, the fallout to the fallout has been better than I expected. I mean, yes. I don't know if you saw Marcus Rashford's statement. I did about this. I, I it was wonderful, and he is just a delightful person. Even if he plays for Manchester United, it's impossible not to like that guy and everything That's he's done. That's exactly what I say about Jalen Brown. I know exactly <laughs> how I feel. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he is wonderful. He's a wonderful person, it seems like. I wish there was someone on the Knicks I could say the same about, you know, but <laughs> no, no. The problem is all the Knicks are so likable that, like, there's no one, <laughs> you, know. you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> all the Knicks. We are all Jalen Brown on the Knicks. Um, but, um, um, you know, what he's done around and the issue of child poverty and the way he's he's yes. really kind of exposed the Tory government and... Uh, you know, and he got a lot of support in Manchester. People might have seen the the mural of him that got defaced, and then there was a lot of people who came out. Put the hearts and, back on it, yeah. Um, put the hearts. But the other thing was the way in which the government's hypocrisy about denouncing racism after the tournament, when they had gone so hard after the players and some of the things that they were doing, particularly about taking the knee before the tournament. I mean, Gary mm. Neville, Tyrone Miggs, both called out. Um, you know, members of the government for Boris Johnson's yep. government, uh, you know, for for their, you know, the, that kind of hypocrisy. And I, I, I thought that was great. You know, they, they managed to turn it back around on them. Um, yeah. From a footballing point of view, I'm not sure that that those three guys and maybe particularly Saka. I mean, I just hope, you know, you hope it doesn't kind of hang over them for the rest of their careers the the the, mm -hmm. the misses there right but mm -hmm. um but maybe it won't i mean maybe it's a different moment and and, and the response will be different mm. if it was any other country but england you might look at the last you know semifinals of the world cup finals of the euros and think that they're building towards something but i don't feel like the english they don't seem optimistic um Either it's win or it's, it's, Riley used to say, Pat Riley would say, there's winning and there's misery. And I feel like it seems sometimes that way with the English fans, whereas as great as they've been the last couple of years, all these talented young players, um, I would agree with you. I think the high point was the reaction to the reaction um, of the Euros so far. Yeah. Speaking of jackasses, let's move on to ESPN. Um, ESPN had a week. ESPN had a week. Um, and I, I am usually loath to ever discuss Stephen A. Smith because I think he is what he is. He knows that it pays well, and he does it. And it, I don't think it's usually meant to be taken seriously. But a couple comments that he made this week brought an idea to mind um, that I was curious what you thought of it. So first, uh, Smith courted controversy... First, when he spoke about uh, the men's Nigerian basketball team who defeated the U.S. ninety to eighty-seven in a in a in a scrimmage, which was an enormous upset, and Smith said, about after the loss, quote, "There's no excuse to lose to Nigeria." Some dude, Gabe Namdi, who goes by Gabe Vincent for the Miami Heat, or Caleb Agata, or Nma, however the hell you pronounce his name, I. I know in the clip that Smith basically was like butchering Nigerian names and not really caring that he was doing it um, on purpose. That same week, I believe maybe the next day, um, regarding uh, Shohei Otani, who is the Major League Baseball star of the moment, um, the Japanese player, Smith said, quote, when asked about Otani, who was, um, you know, just brilliant, starting the All-Star game, batting leadoff in the All-Star game, um, you know, leads the league in home runs and triples and is a great starting pitcher. And Smith's comment was, I don't think, quote, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying. Um, I'm going to start with those two because I think the third ESPN incident doesn't quite reach this, this or stoop to this level. But is there not a point, Jonah Birch, where... If an athlete in the league said one of these things, there would be immediate consequences. There would be fine. There would be suspension. Do you think we will ever reach a point where a sports league would stand up for itself? Maybe not the league because they're in bed with the media, but like maybe where the players would stand up and, and hey, I don't know, boycott a network or try to take some kind of measure because 
this has been Stephen A. Smith has been doing this shit for years, and it's this. It's always the same shit. It's he's going to say something outrageous. He's not really sorry because it's going to get ratings. It's going to become the story. But these are extremely offensive, dehumanizing things to say and do. They um, are, but you know I, that's totally true, of course. And uh, I, you know, it, it is funny to see how the the Rachel Nichols fallout. I mean, that's going to stick with Rachel Nichols, right? The Rachel Nichols Maria Taylor country, where yep. uh, shockingly ESPN personalities are, you know. That, but you know, <laughs> it's a vicious internal culture, and they're all dicks to each other, and you know, trying to get one over. Maybe the least surprising revelation ever. Uh, and then uh, mm-hmm. this is just gonna—it's gonna brush off of Stephen A.'s shoulders, obviously, right? Now, yeah. I, just to say, more than anything, he, uh, he sounded ridiculous, right? I mean, like, who is gonna? Gonna buy that Shohei Otani can't be, uh, uh, you know, a, a major face for Major League Baseball, a, a big face, uh, you know. After at this point in in history, I mean, do you remember Ichiro Suzuki? Like, how, it's such an international mm-hmm. sport. How many Hideo Nomo? Hideo yeah, Nomo exactly. was twenty five years ago. Oh, totally. Fr- v- v- Fernando Mania was early eighties. Yeah. It reminded me actually. The New York audience would know this. Um, if you heard Mike Francesa late in his career, he sound it was sad to listen to him because he could always be like a dick, but when he sounded like a completely out of touch, like completely out of touch, and I think Stephen A is often a jackass, but this is one of the first times in the comments and in his attempt at an apology that he he sounded to me like a dinosaur. He sounded to me like. I know they're paying you a lot of money and you're doing whatever you can to get the ratings, but like you sound out of touch with where the world is going. Like, yeah, totally. Completely. Yeah. And, and I would also say, I mean, the comments about Nigeria, I mean, first of all, if I was one of those players and he's like, who's this guy? I can't even pronounce his name. Of course I would be pissed and, you know, kiss my ass. Mm-hmm. But just mm-hmm. from a, from a, a, a bigger perspective, what the hell are you talking about? He sounds exactly like people we were talking about the Yugoslav players a quarter century ago, right? Like mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. at this point in time, basketball is an international sport. And yes, there are teams and players from all over the world who, even if you haven't heard of them yet, you know, they can, they play competitively and probably you're going to hear about them in the future, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the future of Nigerian basketball is, is pretty bright, it seems like. And, That's good, uh, yeah. I, you know, so this this, this like uh, 1980 shock jock, ah, who the hell are these guys? You know, that I don't remember <laughs> them from Brooklyn. You know, what the fuck are you talking about, Stephen A? You almost wonder, and, you know, not to bring it back to, to Conspiracy Brother, you know, but, you know, we... we uh, You're going to always bring it back to Conspiracy Brother. Always bring it back, yeah. You know, what's the CIA behind... No, no, I'm just kidding. I, you know. <laughs> no, but I, you almost are like... You know, is it? Did he do this intentionally to stir up controversy so that he could get ratings out of it? I don't know if you saw the show the day after, the next day, but they they devoted a huge chunk of it to him apologizing, and then you know they they brought. I don't think that's a conspiracy at all. I think that yeah, I know they wrote on Jeff um, Passan. I think yeah, yeah. To talk Um, about how wonderful Shohei Otani is, yeah, yeah. This isn't. I mean. And to be to be honest and clear, this is not unique. the The cycle is not unique at all to Stephen A. Smith or ESPN. This is media one hundred and one. Like, no. if you can't find the story, make the story. ESPN's been doing it for years. I believe a thousand percent Stephen A. Smith did this on purpose. Did it yeah. to cause a, a a mess to apologize to get ratings. And like you said, there's it has no material impact on him. If anything, he'll get a raise. Like this will not impact him negatively in any way because it's what they want. Right. And, you know, and part of his genius and the genius of uh, many people in that that, you know, his position. I mean, I you think about Skip Bayless and LeBron stuff, right? Skip Bayless does nothing these days but post about LeBron and, uh, you know, uh, just try and troll LeBron fans, basically. And, you know, that's 90 percent of his job. And you put yourself yeah. in the, the center of the story. 
right? And as long as you can survive the backlash, it's going to boost ratings. It's going to make you more valuable. Now, I will say that it does, it should make us all, call, you know, question Stephen A's, uh, whenever his, his solemn commitment to his, his uh, you know, references to social justice and how he opposes racism and he's so concerned about racism. And he also brought that up, uh, you know, in the next day's first take when he was apologizing. He did. I, again, it all feels very performative to me. But, you know, both the... Uh, when he's being anti-racist and when he's, he's coming off like a bigot. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's all part of the brand a little bit. But, I, you know, whatever. Like, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that this was something that he, he did intentionally for the, you know, for the ratings. Obviously, his co-host, Max mm -hmm. Kellerman, couldn't get away with it, right? Like, if he famous... No. I don't know if you... Uh, New Yorker and former rapper Max Kellerman. I don't know if you've ever seen Max Kellerman's... <laughs> <laughs> rap videos from the 90s? I, I've seen a lot in life. I have not seen that shit. I have not seen Max Kellerman rap ever. Go to YouTube and look up Max Kellerman rapper and you'll see he's uh, it's just amazing. From, uh, from I will do early. so. Yeah, it's a, it's a joy. It'll bring That's joy crazy. to your life. Yeah, but, so, <laughs> you know, partly they're going for, uh, you know, they're trying to, to kind of play these roles, play this shtick, uh, you know, in, in the search for ratings, right? I mean, that seems very clear to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sadly, but truly. Also, um, one more thing from ESPN, probably a bit lighter, and I, sus I strongly suspect that we probably fall on different sides of the fence on this. During the ESPYs, which is just one of the great wastes of, of heat and light in our, in our history, um, Anthony Mackie, the actor who plays um, Falcon, who's now Captain America in the Marvel movies, he made a joke on the stage about Ben Simmons winning a humanitarian award um, for building homes for orphans out of all the bricks that he shot in the playoffs. As I read this, it sounds much funnier. And they had two little girls on stage who said thank you to Ben Simmons. Hey. I cannot help feeling like, come on, like Ben Simmons is not out there hurting people. He struggles with one part of his job. The whole world knows it. I don't like a, net, a, a network making a public joke about a shortcoming in an athlete's game at a ceremony meant to, like, to honor sport. Like, something about that strikes me as very wrong. I suspect you may feel not the same. I mean, look, you know, there can be... God, social media, Twitter is a cesspool of mean-spirited, you know, like <laughs> dickish hot takes. and uh, Very much so. <laughs> I hope Ben Simmons has... has yeah, you know, just I hope he stays far away from Twitter. Uh, I, I, this seemed more. It seems kind of funny to me, to be honest. Like I laughed. Uh, I thought it was kind yeah. of funny. It wasn't like, oh yeah. my god, Ben Simmons is the worst player ever. It was like the guy couldn't hit a free throw in the playoffs. Of course, you know. Uh, of yeah. course, they were going to go after him. I suppose. I mean, you know, you're a pro. You know, criticism comes with it. It was the kids. I'm like, you got you got small children involved pulling a joke on Ben Simmons. Like, vicious, vicious. Very. I thought so. Now let I me ask so. you this. We'll let me ask you this. So that you know, now the the Ben Simmons trade rumors, along by the way, with the Kawhi is going to leave the Clippers, possibly for mm -hmm. the Warriors. Those rumors mm -hmm. are are heating up. How seriously, you know, do you take this? I, if I had to bet, I bet Kawhi is staying. That organization gives him whatever he wants. He has a penthouse, and he just bought a mansion um, in the area. I don't. I know he's from San Diego, but now he's got a couple really nice places out there. I don't see why he would leave now. It's not like since he got there, the Clippers haven't contended. Um, I, I just wouldn't guess that he's leaving. Who knows? But I would bet against it. I've heard also Damian Lillard be linked to the Warriors, which makes a bit more sense to me because I think Golden State has what they would need to trade for him, and he's, a, he's an Oakland kid, um, so he could like that. So, yeah, I think Kawhi stays. I think Lillard is more likely to go, especially there was a, a bizarre story that came out today about um, Jody Allen, um, who is the owner now of the Blazers um, after her husband Paul Allen passed away. This weird article about Jody Allen's uh, apparent fetish for strange animal bones and also 
some really bizarre and, and creepy details about how she treated her security staff and sexualized them, like weird stuff. I think Damian Lillard is out. I think he's likely to go to Oakland. I've seen a lot of teams linked to Ben Simmons. I, I'll put it to you this way then, because I don't know where he'll go and everybody's linked to him. I really like Ben Simmons. I feel like on a team with Embiid, I don't know that that's the best fit for him because I think he's, I think he's 6'11". Um, if I had a center like Ben Simmons who can literally guard all five positions, can pass, is a demon in transition, I'll take it. And I'll get my shooting somewhere else. But like, I feel like the, the, the esteem of him has fallen way too far, way too fast for a guy who still does a lot of things. But again, if you can't shoot, that's, that's not a little problem. But write it down, everyone. Ben Simmons to the Knicks is a, is, is a lock. You know, the, the fan I'll base it. demands it. I'll take it. And I think a lot of teams would take him and be happy. I think Simmons is being scapegoated a bit for other problems in Philadelphia and other poor decisions that they've made over the years. Sure. Um, but so starting with I'm, the, I'm sure the, the, the decision to end the process and, and uh, you know, and fire um, Sam Hinkie, who was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, uh, got, got a, you know, a, a bad rap, mistreated, let's say, uh, by the Plus, NBA. Jimmy Butler was perfect. Jimmy Butler was exactly who they needed. And they couldn't hold on to him. And then they gave Tobias Harris like $180 million. That's not Ben Simmons' fault. Yeah. Someone will trade for Ben Simmons and someone will be happy. Also basketball, a little different here. Um, the WNBA All-Star Game just occurred. It featured the WNBA All-Stars against the U.S. Women's Olympic Team. WNBA All-Stars um, used the fourth quarter to come to an eight-point comeback victory over Team USA. If you look, Jonah, at the two rosters in this game, it is a, a dizzying, brilliant array of talent. It is every, almost every single big name you can think of, arguably as great a collection of women's players as there has ever been on one court. The NBA in the past has tried Team USA versus the world team. How would you feel? Because I could not care less about the All-Star game. I don't care about this new ending... I don't care about it. I would rather the players get the weekend off. However, if it was Team USA against NBA All-Stars, that could be interesting if they cared. Um, do you think that's a possibility, or do you think the money and the egos are so bloated on the men's side that like you're never going to see that if it's if, because it's not necessary? It's an exhibition. I don't. Know. Why? Why did they go away from the East versus West, the the, the traditional format? I, I I think ratings were not what they used to be. And they're always, you know, looking to rejigger. Like, we'll do, we'll do this, we'll do that. When really, I think it's a natural consequence of the success of the product. Like in 1985, it was a big deal to see the All Star Game because you might not see Magic Johnson more than two or three times a year in the regular season on the East Coast. Now, with League Pass, with the TNT package, ESPN, ABC, like I can see Steph Curry almost any night. Um, if I want to. So I just think it's natural that interest is down, but they're always trying to find a new reason. So they did the team world thing, which was maybe for five minutes cool. Now they have this this ending. I think just I think this would be a great idea, but I don't know if anybody would go for it. Yeah, I mean I you know I like how they organized this given the for you know the Olympics this year and it, it makes sense for the WNBA. Mm-hmm. The issue on the on the NBA side, on the men's side, is that the players don't take the all-star game seriously anymore right and they did back in the day Mm -hmm. and that's why the ratings are down Mm -hmm. and all the other gimmicks to to like you know stir up fan interest and i think they like having um you know the 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 uh the special where the two team captains pick their but i it actually just reduces my interest in in the all-star game so uh, you know totally I would prefer to go back as a purist to go back to that format, but I, I thought this worked well, you know, for, for the WNBA. And it's good, you know, yeah. it's good to see the amount of... Uh, I, I thought there was more news coverage of the WNBA All-Star Game this year than there has been ever yes. in the past, you know, from, from what I remember. It's been really incredible to watch the slowly dawning realization that the more that you put the WNBA in places where people can see it, the more people want to see it and want to talk about it. Um, it. It took a while for them to come to that conclusion, but I'm glad that they did. Speaking of WNBA and bizarre conclusions, FIBA this week rejected um, 
an application from both Elizabeth Williams and Neka Ogumike, who wanted to play for the Nigerian women's team, despite in the past having played um, for Team USA. FIBA rejected them. A curious decision for a few reasons. Um, a lot of them outlined by uh, a woman named Michelle Vopel, who wrote about it at ESPN.com this week. She mentioned that uh, on its website, FIBA, quote, FIBA states a big part of their mission is, quote, the unifying of the community along with the promotion and development of the sport, empowering national federations, promoting women in basketball, and enlarging the FIBA family. FIBA is also allowed to let a player compete for their a nation if, quote, this is in the interest of the development of basketball in this country. So I find it very bizarre, um, as Volpel did in her piece as well, why... So FIBA Africa is the only one of FIBA's five confederations that has never won any kind of an Olympic medal. Here you have two former All-Stars, great players, that want to play for their parents' country, a country they both hold dual citizenship in, in Nigeria, a country they've both been to many, many times. And, the, and FIBA's like, no, we'll pass. Bizarrely, in the past, FIBA has let women play for countries that they were not from. Um, Becky Hammond and Epiphany Prince both played for Team Russia. Their only connection to Russia being that they played professionally in the Russian league. They didn't have dual citizenship. Their parents weren't from there. Is it ever too simple to say something just seems straight up like racism? Like, I, I find it hard Like I find it hard to think that FIBA would, would be like, no, let's deny them because they're Nigerian. But I, I see no... I see no rationale. Even for FIBA's own self-interest, it would have been a good decision, yet they deny it. Does this make any sense to you? Well, let me just ask you, because, you know, you've been following this more closely than I have. Is the issue that they played for Team USA before, whereas the, the Becky Hammond did, had, hadn't? Is that... The issue that FIBA stated, I will read to you right now FIBA's exact um, explanation in the decision. FIBA said it denied the petitions due to their the players' quote substantial involvement in more than ten years of USA basketball. So that's why they're saying they're not allowed in. But I don't understand how the world recognizes dual citizenship, but FIBA does not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I don't know. It looks like, by the way, Becky Hammond had represented the United States not at the Olympics, but. Um, you know, at at, um, at other tournaments before switching to the Russian team in 2008. Uh, that's absurd. I mean, look, the bigger issue here is the inconsistency and the the you know the hypocrisy. If there's no clear guidelines, it feels very subjective. It doesn't make sense to me that you have one set of rules that you would follow for some players and. Then, then you wouldn't follow the same rules for others. So mm -hmm. there has to be some kind of consistency there. You know, I'm not sure that that discrimination is the key issue here, but, but what do I know? It could be. Um, I, I think generally there's a real issue in international sports like basketball and in a different way, soccer, where, you know, it's not clear. It, you know, it can be very unclear in what circumstances a player who clearly grew up in one country or is from one country um, can play for another country based on family ties or, or, you know, other kinds of connections. So that inconsistency is a real issue there, right? Yeah. Even more bizarre is that um, Ogumike has two sisters, um, Chine and Erica, who both play on Team Nigeria. Right. So it just seems if they're sticking to some kind of policy or dogma, it clearly is interfering with the spirit of what they should be doing. And if there's another reason, I can't imagine what it is, but uh, yeah, what do I know? I don't know. It's, it seems like some, it seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot to enforce something that's not really an issue. Yeah. I mean, that you know, the whole Olymp uh, Olympics thing, FIBA in general is a, a obscure bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's all for today, Jonah. Let's end with this. You know, I want you just to take responsibility for the fact that I randomly, <laughs> inexplicably, got a letter, an email from the Knicks 
trying to sell me Knicks season tickets at the Garden. I have never, you know, subscribed to any Knicks-related listservs. I have no idea how they, the Knicks in particular, got my email address. Was this your doing? I wish it was. The Knicks are approaching me. Yeah. I wish it was. It was not. Um, I would suggest to you to consider the story of um, Saul on the road to Damascus. And, you know, when God called out to him, you know, Saul recognized and responded eventually. And I feel like maybe the universe is trying to tell you something. Brad Stevens has left the bench. You know, things have not been so, so glorious in Boston the last few years. You're exploring other parts of the country. Maybe, you know, the Knicks are on the upswing. Maybe, Maybe. I should join Jews for Jesus. Is that is that the <laughs> point of the, you know, it's all... Analogy? I have to tell you, as someone who was raised in, in some very interesting churches, um, I have seen Jews for Jesus speak at more than one um, church service that I attended, and I remain as confused now as I was then, so... It does I feel will. like they're really missing the point, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> like like sometimes the point is so big, maybe you can't see it, and that feels like what that is. I think Jews for Jesus is the perfect note for us to end this episode <laughs> on. So, um, thank you everyone for being with us for episode twenty-five. Please remember, you can follow Jonah on Twitter at Jonah B seventeen ninety-three. I am also there at Miranda six one three. Uh, our producer, the key master to our gatekeeper, is Connor Gillies. You can follow the Jacobin Sports Show on Twitter also, at Jacobin Sports. Email us. Please email us. We haven't had a real email in a while. It's getting very lonely in that inbox, and I want to be able to give Jonah more of an impression that we're just so hot, the masses can't leave us alone. So, jacobinsports at gmail.com. That is all for this week. In our next episode, the finals should be done. We'll have a guest. We'll have finals talk. And we will enjoy you um, in the middle of next week. So take care, everybody. Bye-bye.